You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. Today, most Christianity either rejects Jesus' nonviolence outright or it embraces nonviolence in a way that leaves marginalized and exploited people passive in the face of injustice and it harms them. There are alternatives. I want to offer an interpretive lens that I refer to as self-affirming nonviolent resistance. Welcome to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. This is episode 294, and our title is is a primer on self-affirming nonviolence, part one. Seven years ago now, I wrote a, a series on nonviolence, and, and a lot has changed for me since then. Originally, my, my understanding of nonviolence, it was deeply influenced by those that define nonviolence in a way that that's that's rooted in self-sacrifice. And, and, and over the years, I've grown to understand Nonviolence, it's nonviolence still, but I've grown to understand it in a, a different way. I've, I've grown to see that uh, th- that way of defining nonviolence as self-sacrifice, it subscribes to the myth of redemptive violence, and it, it, it is itself a violent form of, of nonviolence. A healthier, more life-giving form of nonviolence, I think, is, is so significant for us today. And it's so significant for me that I believe a rewrite of a series on nonviolence for Renewed Heart Ministries is now necessary. So in the in the words of Katie Cannon from the introduction of Dolores Williams' classic Sisters in the Wilderness, theologians need to think seriously about the real-life consequences of redemptive suffering. God talk that equates the acceptance of pain, misery, and abuse as the way for true believers to, auth- to live as authentic Christian disciples. Those who spew such false teaching and warped preaching must cease and desist. And I want to thank Canon and, and others. Uh, I have so much gratitude for them for helping me see this. I, I've, I, I've thought seriously in response to womanist and feminist critiques of defining nonviolence in, in ways that are rooted in self-sacrifice and the, the myth of redemptive suffering. And, and as a result of, of listening to these critiques, I feel that, that this revision that we're embarking on is it's intrinsically required. So let's begin. In Matthew's Gospel, we read these these words. This is Matthew 5, 38 through 48. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But now I tell you, do not take revenge on someone who wrongs you. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, let them slap you on the left cheek too. If someone takes you to court to sue you for your shirt, let them have your coat as well. If one of the, occupa- if one of the occupation troops forces you to carry his pack one mile, carry it two miles. When someone asks you for something, give it to them. And when someone wants to borrow something, lend it to them. You have heard that it was said, love your friends and hate your enemies. But now I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may become the children of your father in heaven. For he makes his sun to shine on the bad and on the good, on people alike. He gives rain to those who do good and to those who do evil. Why should God reward you if you love only the people who love you? Even the tax collectors do that. And if you speak only to your friends, have you done anything out of the ordinary? Even the Gentiles do that. You must be perfect just as your Father in heaven is 
Perfect. When it comes to nonviolence in general, it, it, it seems to me that Western Americanized Christianity has, has lost its way. And maybe we've forgotten what the road that we're supposed to be on even looks like. Since Jesus spoke the above words two millennia ago, followers and non-followers alike have read them and struggled to interpret and apply them in in life-giving ways. I want to be completely honest here. This passage is difficult. I want to offer an interpretive lens, though, that I refer to as self-affirming nonviolent resistance. And the first word I want to focus on is nonviolent. Today, many Christians say that Jesus' teaching on nonviolence, either it's only for certain groups, or it was only for certain time periods, or, or certain cultural circumstances. And even so, it's obvious that Jesus taught some form of nonviolence here. And further, too often Christians who who do teach nonviolence, they teach a self-sacrificing form of nonviolence rather than a self-affirming form. And and again, I once did this myself because during the first 300 years of Christian history, many Christians did interpret, they interpreted Jesus's teaching as self-sacrificing nonviolence too. But listening to marginalized communities and their experiences with nonviolence, it opens up for us new understandings of what Jesus may have originally taught. And I'm fully aware that that some of our supporters here of Renewed Heart Ministries, who are wonderful Christians, they do, they have a different opinion from me on this topic, and and they don't subscribe to nonviolence at all. I want to thank you for for at least tracking with us with this on this series anyway. It would it would be easier for you uh, to focus on things that that don't pull you out of your comfort zone. And through this series, we're going to look at at this subject, and 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 we're going to look at it though in the context of being secure and confident in our love and our respect and our consideration of each other. And I want to also speak to those who subscribe to self-sacrificial nonviolence. Our social structures already deny justice and full humanity to so many people. They're forced to deny themselves. They're forced to do this. And this sector of society, I don't believe Jesus would teach them to further sacrifice themselves in a society that already requires that. I believe Jesus's form of nonviolence gave marginalized people a way to affirm themselves, to affirm their humanity, to hold on to themselves in a world that would either prefer they did not exist or or demand that they just go back to where they came from. Uh, Nonviolence, even self-affirming nonviolent resistance, it's a disposition, it's an attitude, it's a way of life where the means and the ends are aligned. We, 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 do not, we don't choose the way of violence in order to maintain peace. Jesus's way itself, it disrupted unjust systems. It disrupted the peace. And Jesus's way arrived at peace through resistance uh, by establishing distributive justice for everyone, and especially for those communities that that we typically in our society push to the edges edges or to the margins. And today we have overwhelming evidence that the early Jesus 
followers, the early followers of Jesus, they were nonviolent. Over the church's first three centuries, those who held on to nonviolence, I'm going to freely admit, they drifted into more self-sacrificing forms of it. Yet their testimony for some form of nonviolence is still relevant and, and it's challenging to Christians today especially those Christians that reject nonviolence completely, regardless of its form. The United States Christian Church, the U.S. Christian Church, has has become, it's become something that the early Christians, I don't believe they would even recognize. The statements that, that, that follow, they're representative of the voices of Christianity, again, for its first 300 years. This first one is Origen. He wrote, We Christians no longer take up sword against nation, nor do we learn war anymore. We have become the children of peace. Tertullian wrote, And shall the son of peace take part in the battle when it does not become him even to sue at law? And shall he apply the chain and the prison and the torture and the punishment, who is not the avenger even of his own wrongs? Hippolytus, anyone who has the power of the sword or who is a civil magistrate wearing the purple, should desist, or he should be rejected. Arnobius wrote, Rather, it is better to suffer wrong than to inflict it. We would rather shed our own blood than stain our hands and our conscience with that of another. And Arnobius again, It makes no difference whether you put a man to death by word, or rather by the sword, since it is, by, it is the act of putting to death itself which is prohibited. And then Lactanius, uh, When God forbid killing, he doesn't just ban murder, which is not permitted under the law even. He's also recommending us not to do certain things which are treated as lawful among men. Whether you kill a man with a sword or a word makes no difference since killing itself is banned. In some of these statements, we do see uh, love and nonviolence being defined by the early church leaders as self-sacrifice. I want to be honest about that. Uh, there's a willingness here to suffer for the benefit of, of someone else. And we're going to discuss this at, at greater lengths in this series when we listen to, to feminist and, and womanist voices and, and their critique. For now, Marcus J. Borg, he sums up the concern of self-sacrifice in, in his book, The Heart of Christianity. This is page 112. Oppressed people in society and in the family have often been told to put their own selves last out of obedience to God. When thus understood, the message of the cross becomes an instrument of oppressive authority and self-abdication. So defining nonviolence as self-sacrifice for the oppressed it's proven itself to be, again, a violent form of nonviolence. And in this series, I'm hoping to offer you an alternative view. I interpret Jesus's teachings on nonviolence more similarly to, to Walter Wink, who, who, who states that Jesus's nonviolence gave oppressed communities a way to assert their own humanity and, and their own dignity and, and refuse to, to submit or to accept the, the inferior position and, and also to expose the injustice of the system. And if, again, this, those are statements from his book, Jesus and Nonviolence, a, a Third Way. But today, most Christianity either rejects Jesus's nonviolence outright, or it embraces nonviolence in a way that leaves marginalized and exploited people passive in, in the face of injustice, and it harms them. There are alternatives, though. And in this series, 
we're going to consider Jesus' sayings on the subject of nonviolence, and then we're going to address frequently asked questions about applying nonviolence, and then lastly, we're going to listen to the objections and the critiques, not of those who would use violence to dominate or subjugate others, but but from the communities for whom a, a form of nonviolence has left, left them further oppressed, further ex- exploited, and, and, and subjugated. And my hope is that we'll arrive at a form of nonviolence that's not only faithful to the Jesus story, but that's also life-giving and bears the fruit of liberation too. This series, it's, it's going to be a wonderful journey of, of discovery for us. And, and regardless of, of where we even begin, whether we agree at the end of this series or not, at least our understanding will be greater as we explore uh, what we believe and, and why. We'll begin in more depth next week, but for now, contemplate these words this week. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But now I tell you, do not take revenge on someone who wrongs you. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the left cheek too. If someone takes you to court to sue you over your shirt, let them have your coat as well. If one of the occupation troops forces you to carry his pack one mile, carry it two miles. When someone asks you for something, give it to them. And when someone wants to borrow something, lend it to them. You've heard that it was said, love your enemies and love your friends and hate your enemies. But now I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may become children of your father in heaven. For he makes his son to shine on bad and good people alike. He gives rain to those who do good and to those who do evil. Why should God reward you if you only love the people who love Love you. Even the tax collectors do that. And if you only speak to your friends, have you done anything out of the ordinary? Even the Gentiles do that. You must be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Heart Group application this week. This week, discuss whether or not you subscribe, at least in principle, to some form of nonviolence in your life. And number two, in what areas of your life are you practicing nonviolence? What do these practices uh, look like? And then number three, what questions do you have about nonviolence? Have your group email some of those questions into us here at, at Renewed Heart Ministries. And then who knows? They may just end up in this new series. I would love to hear what you're thinking out there. Thanks for checking in with us this week. Wherever you are, keep choosing love, compassion, action, and reparative and distributive justice. Another world is possible if we choose it. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.